1: One of the Pitbulls and one of the Dachshunds decided to take on a hot air balloon earlier, so that was quite fun. That went on for about 20 minutes. Welcome to the Wellbeing Lab. I am William Young. Today, we speak to Helen Undy, who is Chief Executive of the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. Fascinating chat. Absolutely brilliant. Kind of mind-blowing, actually. I feel like my mind's being blown a lot at the moment, Amy. Not sure why. Am I becoming more and more interested, more curious? Maybe I'm just naive. Anyway, have a listen to the chat, and of course, let us know what you think.
2: So my background's working in the charity sector and i've worked on lots of different issues from working with people who are homeless working with care leavers and then i got into working in mental health because it sort of felt like the thread that ran through everything else whatever other issue we were working on mental health was the thing that was always there it was either the cause or it was the consequence and it's just such a fascinating rich topic to work on as you'll know from doing this podcast And I particularly found myself working on the things that can kind of cause mental health problems or make mental health problems worse. So really focusing on relationships, work, those sorts of things. And money was just this huge issue that keeps coming up time and time again. So the charity was set up about six years ago. It was set up by Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert. He kind of set it up to try and tackle the root cause of some of the issues that he was seeing crop up elsewhere in other bits of work and I jumped at the chance to go and join the charity so that's why I'm here now.
1: This is a really interesting area because the first thing that comes up when I think about money problems and mental health is a sort of, now I'm not normally like this so it's weird that I'm saying this but I think of a sense of hopelessness Mm -hmm. that I wonder if lots of people Come to you, and they—they they must feel so hopeless. I think, particularly at the moment, when I see what's going on with energy prices and fuel prices, I just think, "Oh my God!" It must just feel so hopeless.
2: I think for a lot of people, it does. So, we at Money and Mental Health, our research is really rooted in people's lived experience of mental health problems. We run what we call our research community, which is a group of over four thousand people who all have experience of mental health problems, and. We go to them every week to hear their insights about what's going on, how they are, anything about their experiences of everything from opening a bank account to staying in work to the cost of living crisis. And at the moment, we're hearing a lot of hopelessness, a lot of people who are really scared and worried. And that's that's a community of people living with mental health problems. But we've also done some research with the UK general population, and we found about one in five adults says they're currently feeling unable to cope because of the cost of living crisis. And that's pretty terrifying.
1: That's really terrifying. And okay, so the people that you're helping, are they people who have mental health difficulties? and then you aid them in financial matters, or have they come to you and they're almost in a catch-22 that they have mental health problems because of financial difficulties? So
2: we're a research organisation, so we don't provide direct services to help people. What we do is try to understand the ways in which, just as you said, both directions, how mental health problems can lead to money problems, and how money problems can lead to mental health problems. And then we try and influence the things that Government does, banks do, employers, energy companies to try and change things for the better. But you're right, it's a cycle and it goes in both directions. So you are three and a half times as likely to be in problem debt if you've got a mental health problem because of all the ways in which mental health problems make it harder to earn money, make it harder to manage money, make it harder to control your spending. And then in the other direction, You're much more likely to end up living with mental health problems if you have financial difficulty because of the impact of the debt itself and the debt collection activity and the impact of all the things that you have to go without when you're living in debt or on a really low income.
1: Got it. I heard something the other day about gambling, which I was so shocked about. I'd be really interested in any research or anything that's come up with gambling. And I mentioned gambling because it can become an addiction, and obviously addictions can underline and create mental health problems. And there was a person who had spent over a million mean, and he was a gambling addict, he got it got really bad, and he went this was a thing on Radio 4 the other day, and he ended up going to prison. And he had spent up to a million pounds on a certain gambling site. And during that period, they had offered him. £39,000 free credits. So even when he was losing five grand at a time, immediately he'd get a free credit of £200 to keep him in the system. Have you come come across gambling in your research?
2: They're really connected issues. So gambling addiction can be classed as a mental health problem in and of itself. And also if you're living with other mental health problems, that can affect why people start gambling so people can start gambling because they're in debt and they need money and you're much more likely to be in that situation if you're living with mental health problems we also found in our research people can begin gambling because they're sort of seeking a a thrill or a kind of you know a rush that you get from gambling that can be hard to find in other places one of the same drivers of substance use and other risky behaviors that people do all connected behaviors so mental health problems can make it more likely that you start gambling it also makes it harder to stop gambling because living with mental health problems for a wide variety of mental health problems one of the most common symptoms is that it reduces your impulse control and that's connected to all the things you talk about in terms of money so difficulty controlling spending taking out credit controlling your behavior anger but also Controlling and stopping gambling is much harder when you're living with mental health problems. And also lots of the things that are set up to help you control your behaviour, whether that's gambling or something else, can be harder to use and access when you're living with a mental health problem. So common symptoms might include difficulty communicating. So it's harder to pick up the phone and ask for help. And when a lot of support services might require you to use a telephone lots of people can end up cut off from the services that are set up to help them as well so it's it's definitely a very messy and and vicious cycle and that you know the gambling firm that you mentioned firms can really prey on people who are quite vulnerable because they can see that those people are coming back again and again yeah what kind of
1: things have you recommended over the years that might seem very simple that, that people might overlook? I mean, you know, you mentioned sort of going in and setting up a bank account or going in and working out credit and things like that. What kind of things have you passed on over the six years?
2: So one of the simplest things that's already had a really big impact is about controls that you can put on your bank cards. It's a really simple concept. Everything you buy using a credit or debit card is categorized by the bank when they put through the transaction. So they don't know exactly what you buy, but they will know if it's gambling. They'll know if it's alcohol. They'll know if it's petrol. They'll know if you were in a supermarket. And gambling is one of the neatest categorizations that exist. Some of the others are a little bit vague, but your bank knows when you're gambling. And so we started talking to banks and credit card companies about wouldn't it be great if you allowed people to turn off gambling on their cards so that you could have a credit or debit card and you would know that you cannot gamble on it. So if you're somebody who struggles to resist the urge to gamble, you could turn that off. And even better, make it hard to turn back on again. And I'm really proud then, it wasn't just the work of our charity, it worked with a few other organisations as well, but that functionality is now available on over 90% of UK current accounts. So most banks in the UK now, either you can do it in an app or you can contact them or do it in the branch and just turn off gambling. And then for the better ones to turn it back on again, there's a delay. So for example, quite a few of them, you have to go in web chat to ask them to turn it back on. There's not just a switch button. And when they turn it back on, they might signpost you to some gambling support. And there's also a 48 hour cooling off period before it switches back on so that you can't in a rash moment or after a few drinks or late at night, suddenly just switch it back off and gamble again. And that's already made a really big difference. Yeah,
1: that's fantastic really simple thing but I guess it can be really effective on a wider level what kind of things have come up in research outside gambling I mean just on a wider level that are the kind of things that maybe haven't been thought about that you've been able to sort of take to policy makers and go oh by the way we've noticed this from our four to five thousand you know people research it's you know examples that maybe lots of us wouldn't have even heard of but things that have come up for you have you got any examples
2: Yeah, so one of the biggest things is um, we did a really big piece of research looking at what happens to your money when you're in a mental health crisis. So when someone's in a really acute crisis, so they might be suicidal, they might be psychotic, so they might be hearing voices or their perception of reality might be really changed. Quite often, somebody may be hospitalised, so you could be in a psychiatric setting in hospital, or you might be in the care of a crisis team at home, but you are very acutely unwell. And we wanted to understand what's happening to someone's money during that period, because we were hearing stories of people getting into really acute harm during a period of severe illness and what's happening afterwards. And we found I mean, horrific stories from people about what was happening, but I remember talking to people who said, look, I I was discharged from a psychiatric hospital and I got home and there were bailiff letters on my doormat when I got home. Somebody else who had the crisis team come round when they were suicidal and then later the same day a bailiff turned up at their house and parked their car across their drive and just horrific stories. And you think it's no wonder that it's so hard to recover when that's the reality that's going on. So we ran a really huge campaign called Recovery Space about giving people the space to recover without being pursued for their debts. And we won and and a new scheme was introduced. uh, It came in last year. So. What was happening was the government was introducing a new, they called it a debt respite scheme. So it basically is a bit of debt breathing space for people who go and get debt advice. So the idea was that you go and see a charity like Citizens Advice and you get debt advice. And when they put you on a debt management scheme, you would get i think the idea was that it would be 30 days originally in which you wouldn't be chased for your debts so we campaigned saying look that isn't going to work for people in mental health crisis you can't go and queue up at your local citizens advice on the high street when you are acutely unwell and if you're in hospital you might not have access to your phone or a computer you're not opening your post it just doesn't work. So yeah, I mean, we we launched a big campaign. We got, I think, nearly 20 different charities to back the campaign, did lots of media work, petitions, all of those kinds of things. And there was a piece of legislation going through Parliament at the time to create this new debt scheme that we didn't think was going to work for people in crisis. And we got together a group of MPs who were interested in what we were doing and worked with them to table amendments to the piece of legislation. And then it was over 100 MPs in the end who signed up to back it. And then the government in the end supported it and said, we'll do it. So what happens now is anybody who is using NHS mental health crisis services and who's at risk of financial difficulty is entitled to a period totally free from interest, charges, debt collection and contact from creditors. So you shouldn't get letters, text messages, phone calls. And that lasts for as long as you are using NHS crisis services plus 30 days afterwards so that you can focus on recovery. And then after you're discharged from hospital or when the crisis team discharges you from their care, there's 30 days in which you should be able to get access to debt help from a charity to help you get back on your feet.
1: That's brilliant because that's a great example of you using again your research and noticing and hearing a lot of as i heard you say you know horrific stories to then feed it through and get very much needed change quick pause for a little ad break and then we'll be back
0: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer
1: Because sometimes it's really difficult even to pay debt, even if you want to. Like, I mean, just recently I got a a speeding thing and I'd been away. So I'd got back and it was like a lot of letters, you know, which is scary. And I couldn't get hold of anyone. So I was kind of stuck in this sort of area where I wanted to pay (laughs) the vine, wanted to send the thing through. But I'd slipped from the period of being able to pay it to move to then the debt collector period. And I was sort of in between the two and I was like...
2: It's a complete nightmare. Quite a lot of the work that we do looks at how living with a mental health problem can affect how you use services and engage with services, because we talk quite a lot about how mental health problems affect how we feel, but we don't talk very much about how they affect the way our minds work. And actually, there are some very specific symptoms of mental health problems that can make it harder to do something like paying a debt. So it's harder to way up complex information so understanding a letter that tells you particularly they're not clear i mean it sounds straightforward but you'll know if you've seen one they say like no, this no. is what happened and then there's all these additional fees and you can't quite work out what you owe and what to do with it it's harder to process that information if you've got a mental health problem yeah remembering like remembering to call but also remembering all the information that they tell you on the phone if you do get through but also communication can be much harder so we found in our research over half of people with mental health problems have really significant difficulty using the phone and that's not just people who don't like making phone calls that's heart palpitations panic attacks it's really feeling unable to make that phone call to do something kind of adminy normally and so you get that letter through and in your case you didn't see or open the letter because you weren't there but actually when people are really unwell with their mental health, opening the post is often one of the first things that goes. So you might be in the house, but the letters are piling up and you don't feel able to open them. Mm -hmm. And then when you do manage to open one and you can't really understand it, or you're struggling to make a decision about what to do. And then the only way to get in touch is through the phone. It's no wonder that by the time it gets passed on to bailiffs, if a bailiff is knocking on someone's door, the chances that somebody behind that door has a mental health problem is more likely than not. And yet bailiffs have no training in mental health whatsoever. So it's just a really dangerous situation for people. No, that mainly
1: makes it, I mean, you know, I have had and can still have difficulties with my mental health and wellbeing. And it certainly resonates with me. There are times when I do not want to open posts, or if I have, I mean, I call them admin Mondays, if I can do my admin Monday. It maybe the way my brain works, or particularly when I had PTSD more, you know, I couldn't really fathom certain things. And actually, weirdly, for me, I'm much better on the phone, because I'm not very good at looking at forms. And I'm slightly dyspraxic. So that could be because of that. I'm much better at just all I want to do is have a card ring up. And if I'm fortunate that I can pay it, and I can just say, right, I've paid it. But it's It seems like over the last 20 years, it's impossible anyway to just simply pay something or speak to someone to pay for something. And when times have been difficult, it's been really difficult. And, you know, then they just rack up, the bills rack up. And I've watched it for friends of mine and family members who had difficulties as well. But I remember a very specific time, actually, when I first had my breakdown and I was really, really very ill. I ended up seeing a psychiatrist. I wonder if this has come up at all. And I had an. in insurers a health insurer at the time and then after about a month i mean i was suicidal i was really bad and then after about a month someone said oh can you do this you know on your health provider i was like oh i hadn't even checked and so i rang up the health provider and um i said oh can i pay for these sessions that i've had and they they were like no no you can't retrospectively pay for those ones and i said but i'm i'm allowed to and then they said well if you read page 52 of your manual and I said to the person you know forgive me when I'm standing there thinking about taking my own life that I don't pick up the manual and read to page 52 and I had to have such an argument with them to get them to retrospectively pay for these psychiatric sessions that were really expensive and to be honest the only reason they ended up paying was because I was famous but I thought what about all these other people I wonder if that ever comes up with like health insurance or things like that
2: Yeah I mean in that moment of being in a really acute mental health crisis the idea that you would read the small print on an insurance policy is just laughable and similarly with other insurance claims and kind of things like you're in a huge pile of debt so for someone who you know, might be in a huge pile of debt and really struggling with that. And those debt collection letters are supposed to have signposting to help and support quite prominently, but quite often they don't and it's buried somewhere in the letter. And again, the idea that, did you read to page four and find the phone number for the debt advice charity? No, of course you didn't because it was a really difficult time for you. So yeah, it is absolutely ridiculous. So as well as doing campaigning to change things that the government are doing. We do quite a lot of work with companies and firms because we realized you can actually change quite a lot and affect quite a lot of people's lives by changing the way businesses do things and changing the way they do sometimes what seems like relatively small things, like how they write letters and where they put that clause in page 52 could have been somewhere else it could have been at the front it could have been in a box it could have been made clear to you not at the moment when you're making a claim but maybe a little bit earlier on so we run a program called mental health accessible because most of us are sort of familiar with the idea that if you live with a physical disability or a sensory impairment like a hearing loss that there are adjustments that a bank or an energy company or an insurer should make so that you can access their service I mean they're not reliably provided as much as they should be but you know braille letters large print hearing loops those kinds of things but the same is true for mental health problems and there there isn't the understanding of what that might mean so making sure that there is multi-channel access to a service so for you using the phone is really helpful so for a service to be really accessible for you there should be a phone line and ideally a phone line that isn't going to keep you waiting for half an hour And if it is going to keep you waiting, they need to tell you at the beginning, this is going to take 30 minutes. When you get through, you're going to need to have with you a pen and paper, a copy of your statement so that you know what to do and so that you don't find it totally stressful. But for someone else, what they might need is web chat or they might need email. They might need to be able to go into a branch and just having those different options can make services so much more accessible. So we go and work with companies and take a look at all their products and services and tell them this is how it's really difficult for your the one in four of your customers who have mental health problems to use your service. And this is how you can make it better.
1: I mean, that's so brilliant, because honestly, I really notice it when I am on a call and it says you are 18th in the queue. And I think, okay, well, I'm 18th in the queue. That's fine, because I really relate to those kind of simple solutions that you are proffering up to businesses and saying one in four can you know really benefit from these kind of things because you know I'm one of those people and I do benefit from them. Uh, What about councils?
2: Oh they're they're the worst.
1: (laughs) Okay because as we've been speaking I've been going through this sort of list in my head and I'm thinking come on councils.
2: I mean everybody moans about banks but the banks are regulated and actually The big financial regulator in the UK, the Financial Conduct Authority, has really pushed banks over the last 10 years or so to be better for customers who they will call them vulnerable customers, which is a bit, it's not the friendliest term to relate to. But anyone who is struggling for any different reason and might be harmed uh, when they're using financial services, they've really pushed banks to do more and to do better. And there's still a lot of improvement to be made, but it's come on whereas council debt collection is not regulated so council tax you miss one payment and councils can bill you up front for the rest of the year of council tax so actually that the person I mentioned earlier who was discharged from psychiatric hospital and came home to a bailiff letter she'd missed a council tax payment and she'd missed a council tax payment because she was in hospital and she obviously wasn't opening her post because it was being sent to her house and she didn't have a direct debit correctly set up missed one payment they billed her up front for the rest of the year she did not pay that because she didn't get the letter because she was in hospital so they referred it onto bailiffs and the bailiffs came to collect the debt which was a whole year's worth of council tax and that is just so aggressive and yeah. councils have a duty locally to promote health and well-being in their local areas you know they run social services they have directors of public health, whose job it is to try and prevent people from experiencing mental health problems. So they invest in parks and community centres. And yet they have another team within the same council whose job it is to collect debt from local residents. And councils are among some of the quickest to pass it on to bailiffs.
1: And I would imagine they also vary so much as well, because, you know, having lived in three different boroughs in 20 years in London, The experience of the pros and cons of each council and each borough has been fascinating. They feel so, like, unregulated, weirdly.
2: They do. I mean, to be fair to councils, the funding for local services has been cut. So if you're running a council and you're trying to fund local social services and you're trying to fund services to help people with mental health problems locally and the money keeps getting cut and cut and cut... I can see why collecting more council tax that's owed to you is important, but I think where the dots aren't joined up is understanding that effective debt collection isn't aggressive debt collection. There's good evidence mm. out there that shows that you don't get more money by banging people's doors down with bailiffs, and actually what that will do is cause more problems that you are then going to have to try and help people with further down the line with your other services. So. There's just not very much joined up thinking within councils about, you know, how they could actually do something overall for the benefit of their local population when it comes to mental health.
1: Am I right in thinking that council tax is a, what's called a priority debt? What does that mean?
2: Yeah so what that means is if you go and get debt advice so you go to a charity to help you sort out your debts they will look at all of the money that you owe to all different places and they will work out how much you can actually afford to pay and then they will contact your creditors and they will tell you what order to pay them in and council tax being a priority debt means that's one of the ones that always gets paid first because if you don't pay your council tax They can send you to prison. And that's one of the terrifying things in this day and age. You know, you you can miss a single council tax bill, get billed up front for your council tax for the rest of the year. They send in the bailiffs. And if you fail to pay, you're unable to pay. Ultimately, your local council can send you to prison.
1: For the future, what have you got your eyes sort of set on at the moment?
2: Oh, such a lot. So three big things are happening when you're living with mental health problems that affect your money. So your income is likely to go down. Um, So we know that living with mental health problems makes it harder to get jobs, stay in employment, you're more likely to be on benefits, more likely to be on sick pay, more likely to be on a low income or out of work. So I would really love to see both the world of work and the world of benefits significantly improved for people with mental health problems. In the benefit system, the level of benefits needs to increase so that it provides a decent standard of living for people and the same with sick pay. But in a really sort of tangible, discrete thing that could change tomorrow, we've already talked about how difficult it is doing all that admin when you're really unwell. The benefit system is one of the worst examples of that. And once you've got your universal credit claim set up, so you've got your benefits and you're claiming them, to keep that claim coming in, you have to keep doing more and more administrative hurdles. So you've got to fill in a little journal online, you have to open letters, you have to respond to emails. And it is set up as though it's designed to make people fail. If you don't manage to do the things they're asking you to do, you can get your benefits cut. And there is a provision that you can set someone else up to help you but there's no advice about how you do it. It's a really obscure process. So we're campaigning to change that process so that everybody using the universal credit system can, in a really straightforward way, nominate someone else to help them do it if they want to. So I'd love to see that change. So that's the first thing around income. Great one. Second thing's around spending. So your income's going down, your spending's likely to be going up at the same time. And, you know, I listened to your really good episode about shopping addiction because that impulse control issue is just so huge. Gambling card controls was the first place that we went with that spending, but there are so many more things that we can do. We'd love to give people the option to be able to self exclude from credit to stop yourself taking out credit so that, you know, in a period of illness, you're not going to get into more debt. We would love people to have more control over their online environment. So opting out of those targeted emails. I think you mentioned in that episode about buying a suit because you'd received an email from a company that followed up. You know, if you've put something in your basket and then resisted the urge to buy it and walked away, those emails often land at midnight when we're tired, but you wake up in the morning and think, did I, I can't, and then check your inbox and you did, and you bought it and you know, so we'd like people to have more control and be able to opt out of that stuff and then the third thing is just about all of these systems banks energy companies utility companies need them to understand that mental health problems are just like any other condition or disability that there are practical ways they affect how people use your services and there are practical things that not only should you do but you're legally required to do some of them to help people get good access to services so Every essential service should have multi-channel access to all of those core things. And just, you know, the very basics, most of them have a team that's set up to help customers who are struggling or to help customers who are in debt. And most of them are only accessible on the phone, which is just, it's just so counterintuitive and means that the people who are struggling the most are struggling on their own. Those are just a handful of things really, but
1: where do we stop? Well, please don't stop because I think that it's brilliant what you and and your team are doing. Absolutely wonderful. Thank God for people like yourself that you can implement real change. And if people want to stay up to date and follow your sort of latest campaigns and things like that, how can they do that?
2: So you can sign up on our website to join our mailing list. So on the homepage, there's a, a button to sign up. And if you go on Twitter, we are at MMHPI, so that's Money and Mental Health Policy Institute, MMHPI. So follow us on there and you can keep up to date with everything we're doing.
1: Maybe just off the top of your head, if there are any websites that people could go to or charities, if any of this resonates with them.
2: Yeah, so if you are struggling with your own mental health or money, the simplest place to go to is on our website, so moneyandmentalhealth.org slash get help. And there is a page there that has links to lots of different organizations that can help with money or mental health, particularly lots of debt advice charities. And debt advice charities can provide you with free advice. You never need to pay for debt advice. It is out there for free, so that's there. And if people who are listening have their own experiences with mental health problems and want to take part and be involved in the research, if you go to our website, so moneyandmentalhealth.org/community, um, and there's a link on our homepage, you can sign up to be part of our research community. So there's 4,000 people in there at the moment. You can take part totally anonymously. We will just send you surveys or invitations to take part in bits of research to share things about your experience, to then help other people in the future. You know, some of the people that I've mentioned today are people who took part in the research and then ended up coming with us to Downing Street to deliver our petitions and you know, campaign with us in parliament and did create real change off the back of it. And really it's lovely hearing nice praise for our work, but I have to say that it is owed to them really, because you know, we're only here because of the people who are committed enough to tell really difficult stories and share really horrible experiences in the hope that it will make something else better.
1: Well, how amazing that people have been doing that. And, you know, I encourage anyone, if they feel safe enough and strong enough to do it, to help and keep on imparting information to you and knowledge, because that way things can change. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Keep on fighting the good fight, Helen. It's so nice to speak to you. Thank you.
2: Thanks so much for having me on.
1: All I'm going to say is Helen Undy for PM. Maybe with Martin Lewis in there somewhere I don't know Did anyone see him on the bus at the Jubilee? He was there In the wrong decade, I felt But anyway, I digress I thought that was really interesting Do let us know what you think As ever, get in touch It is a rolling conversation But yes, I really enjoyed it Well, we've got to episode 18 Here's a message Dear Will, I will be as succinct as possible I like you already. I was a carer for my very aged and disabled parents for six years. My father passed as my mother succumbed to dementia during lockdown. She died alone in a care home. I couldn't see her. The guilt is massive. I was alone. No one to help. I'm 63, not retired. On universal credit, I should be retired. I'm treated like an OAP, have underlying health problems, live alone, mum, dad, Brexit, COVID, war, cost of living crisis. I've considered taking my life. It's so difficult to see a way forward. I'm the forgotten generation. Thanks for listening. Well, this is a... I mean, now, first of all, one, you must feel very alone having lost your parents and living alone. It's not to be underestimated how triggering that is. And when I say triggering, I don't just mean like, you know, oh, it's triggered a little thing. It's major, really major. I'm really pleased that you've reached out. And as someone who has also considered taking their life a suicidal ideation, For me, it is normally a sign when I feel hopeless and I just can't feel a way out. I think it's really good to try and categorise things. So things like personal grief, um, personal sorrow, try to categorise that in one section and not then try not to let things like Brexit, Covid, war, all those kind of things encroach in because then we get very overwhelmed. And also, I would highly recommend the Samaritans because they're absolutely brilliant. I have rung them and I've spoken to them and the woman said to me, Are you tired of life or are you tired of your for me, it was are you tired of your anxiety? And I said, That's a very good question. I'm not tired of life, I'm tired of my anxiety. Thank you for reaching out and um hang in there and keep on communicating. Keep on communicating, make sure you do. And thank you for trusting us here with your thoughts and feelings. And we're going to put the Samaritan's details in the show notes. Uh, I will. I often feel frustrated when money plays such a big part in improving mental health. It's so unfair. If you're able to afford therapy of any kind and don't have to rely on the NHS to get treatment, you're able to recover and heal so much quicker. You're right. And with some things, being able to nip them in the bud could save a lifetime of difficulty. I agree. Also, the worry that having little money brings is detrimental to mental health. I know that inevitably money cannot buy happiness or connection or love or care or gratitude. And having not much money keeps me humble. I have recognised that, but I'm still frustrated that I'm unable to afford therapy and a multitude of things that would help with mental health. And I know this is the case for so many people. Thanks, Will, for the good work as always. I mean, you're so right, you know, and actually I've always recognised how privileged I am and deliberately talk about it a lot and how I've been able to pay for private treatment over the years. And we all know about waiting lists. We all know about the lack of treatments and... The slim pickings that are available and i always think that finding groups is really helpful you know obviously free groups you can find groups within a 12-step program or any kind of activity where people where our emotions are validated and heard in a safe environment i would highly recommend that um, and i totally hear you and totally validate you these are very very good open vulnerable messages Dear Wellbeing Lab, I loved your episode on abandonment. I was literally feeling abandonment issues while I was listening. So much sense. I look forward to hearing each week. Yeah, wasn't she brilliant? It was absolutely fascinating. And I think it's important to say, actually, that often, you know, things on a wider level, you know, really can, in terms of what's going on in the country, what's going on in the world, you know, they are really, really triggering and really hard things. And we can end up feeling very vulnerable and very alone and very helpless And when we feel helpless, that can be a really difficult place to be in. So, you know, I just want to validate that for people, that when times are difficult in the world, you know, it is traumatic. And I was talking to my neighbour the other day, and I was saying this particular person was feeling very helpless with the government and the war and things. And I said, well, what I try and do is just find one thing that I can do to help. One thing that I can do, you know, and that's how I basically don't fall down into a cycle of complete despair love you all as ever To get in touch the bumblebee i think the bumblebee's telling you it's going <laughs> uh, what is it bumblebee no difficult email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com twitter at the wellbeing lab instagram and facebook at the wellbeing lab podcast i'm coming bumblebee next week i try out healing yoga i'm like a crash test dummy for wellbeing. lots of love to you bye did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the ACAST Creator Network? It's true.
0: Hold up!